Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. What we're doing with this, uh, this 30 days of community, where's, there it is. Hold on a second. There it is. Um, with this 30 days of community uh, message series is um, the goal is, is that we would grow in the substance of our relationships with each other in our church, neighborhood, and city. And so uh, study after study shows that the 21st century person um, is actually one of the loneliest in all of history. And it's not because we lack points of connection or points uh, or ways to communicate or ways to connect with others. There's more than ever, but it's actually that we lack meaningful relationships. Like we're constantly around people and we're constantly interacting with people, but somehow we've lost the art of actually being with people in a meaningful way. And so that, the goal of this series is, is really uh, to get us to a place to chip away at that, that we would be people that we could be in community with others. And I will tell you the focus, it, it is, we focus a lot on the outward. We focus a lot on the let's reach and love our community, and we do. Uh, but this series very much is, is like, as a church, how do we build and stoke this fire here? Like we have a fire pit out here and, uh, you know, you, you have to start small. You start small and as the embers grow and the heat grows, you know, amongst the kindling and the, and the smaller wood, then you put the bigger pieces on. And that's always been the way of the church is you start with a small group of people where love and, and, and respect and serving and, and true life grows. And then it draws other people in and it goes out from there. So this series is very much focused on how we as a people, as Jesus people, can live together in community. Uh, we'll have four Sunday messages talking about how we are better together. So uh, we'll look at how we love better together, we care better together, we grow better together, and we serve better together. So the small groups that Erica is talking about, um, I, I want to challenge you is that do at least one week. There's four weeks of the groups. So go to at least one night at somebody's home, share a meal with the people that are hosting and doing this, uh, at least one. Every person say, I'm going to do at least one. Or if you're more comfortable, join at least one of the online uh, uh, groups and, and, and attend and take part. Um, you won't miss it. Because for me, uh, and I think for anybody, you enter the church and uh, this is encouraging. You get in a larger setting and you hear and, and you walk through. But I can say that all of my growth, you know, spiritually um, happens in a, in a, in a, in a room a, with a smaller group of people, uh, whether it was a class or whether it was serving with those people or whether it was gathering and reading the word together and praying for one another. Uh, that's where you really find out about who you are in the body of Christ. And so um, think about joining at least one of those. Okay. So let's pray for our next four weeks. Typically we start a new series. We say, Lord, do this in us, work this in us. Okay. So let's pray for this. God, thank you for uh, this opportunity uh, to focus on um, what it means to have meaningful relationships. Jesus, you started uh, this community that we call the church. Uh, and you prayed that it would be like the relationship that you have with the Father and the Holy Spirit, 
that it would be this whole community where there's oneness. And so that God, that's what we pray. We ask that you would take us deeper in community with us as a people, a body that are gathering together. So God, work in us, move in us, help us to move beyond our defenses, God. Help us to move to the place that we're known and we, and we, and we know others. And so take us deeper with each other and with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, yesterday I was talking to Kevin Brown. I was I, I asking if I had my man card now uh, for the Midwest or Iowa or Kansas area because yesterday I used a snowblower. And so, uh, and so I've, I've shoveled before plenty, but, uh, a, a snowblower was donated to us a while back and in, in just, you need thicker snow. And so we got, we got like four inches, you know, not too shabby uh, Friday and Saturday. And so, so I got here yesterday, I was going to shovel and I said, I'm going to use the snowblower. This is on. So I went and got gas and, and, uh, and, and got the thing and, and, and called for instructions because I looked at it and, but there's all these danger signs all over it. So I'm like, I better call and ask the, you know, and, uh, person that gave it to us. And, and, and so I'm walking through and, and get it going. And, and, and they told me, he said, okay, now you do this and this and press this. And then you hear, and, and, and it did that. Uh, it was great. Um, but it was a, it was a kind of a walking through over a period of, 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 you know, a couple hours walking through because I, I wanted to just clear it and get it done, but I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and then the machine hadn't been used in a while. And uh, there's different settings and different levers and uh, different ways of doing it. And, and I just wanted the machine to work, right? You know, I just wanted to, and it did work, but I had to set it right. And I, all of a sudden I set the throttle a certain level and I'd hit a real big patch of snow and, and it bogged down I'm like what's going on. And I need to clear snow and all sorts of different things. And those of you guys that have been much manlier than me for a long time, just like, you're such a novice Cody, you know, but, but for me, it, it took, it took kind of a while. I spent most of the time coordinating coordinating, trying to make it so, but by the end of the time, it was like, so happy together. We were just cruising, you know, and it was spitting the snow out. It's flying and, and we just have it dialed. Like we're in sync. Uh, we're in cahoots together and, uh, and, you know, a snowblower and myself, we needed coordination to do that different settings. Well, today, as we look at, uh, how we love better together, it's similar to that snowblower. It takes a coordination of efforts to be able to have, I love well, and I'm loved well. It's not just press and play. And we all know that, no matter what relationship we're in, especially in the church, right? The church has always been not a gathering of people that are all alike, but it's, the church is a gathering of different ethnicities and different socioeconomic levels and in and, and different ages and in different experiences and in different, uh, different vocations. I mean, the church is so beautiful because it's this eclectic gathering of people. And so when we come together and we're told that we're to love one another, it takes coordination, just like that, that snowblower. Um, so as, as we look at it, uh, as we look at love, um, we're talking about real love here. Okay. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You look up the definition, just dial in love. Like what is love? Uh, and you'll come up with a bunch of eighties and, you know, songs and stuff, you know, or I want to know what love is or different things. Right. Um, but 
you know, if you put in love like definitions, a lot of the definitions aren't helpful because they're more based upon like this, uh, more based upon like this thing that like I'm controlling or being controlled by, or, or, in it, or it's this, um, you know, like lust is, is, is misinterpreted as, is love a lot, like in definitions. It's, it's like, so what do we get down to as real love? Well, real love is, is, um, is more than a feeling or desire. Um, love is an action. Love, um, we're talking about a love that is given and received. Because love, true love, there's a wholeness to it. Because it's, it, 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 it can be there and there's an action, but it needs to be activated by the other. So we all want to be love and be loved. And any person can say that they have a full life if they, at the end of it, or during it, say, you know what? I am loving well, and I'm being loved well. Like, what else would you need to say or put as a kind of a, an addendum to your life or to speak about your life than I loved well, and I was loved well. I mean, wouldn't that be enough? I think that that's actually everything. That it's not just kind of like, well, I guess. But that's really what we all long for and that's what we want. See, the way of Jesus for this community that we call the church, uh, he decides that love would be in community and specifically uh, koinonia, uh, or community. So koinonia is a Greek term that's used in the New Testament, and it's always used about the community of those wrapped around the good news of Jesus or wrapped around the person of Jesus. And so koinonia is never used besides when it talks about the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And so that gives us kind of points at something. Real love is that which is planted or rooted in something that actually represents that. That's why love is so hard to get because uh, many times uh, we, we plant love in something that isn't whole or something that is uh, not near what real love is. But as Christians, we plant the idea of love just straight right in the middle of Jesus Christ himself. And we say that love begins and ends with this person of Jesus and what he has done. And so we will define love itself by him and with him together. That's what the community of Jesus has always done. So um, we get a glimpse of Jesus and his community in John chapter 13. So we're going to read. It's quite a long passage, so follow along. Words will be up here, or if you have your Bible, John chapter 13, verse 1 is where we start. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. You know, I mean, that cues you off, right? I mean, um, that... Uh, What's defined by what Jesus did? He didn't say, you know, he taught them how to work hard and, and, and he taught them how to work hard to the end. Or, or you know, he, it's like he taught them about love and he loved them well. That's what it's all about. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of 
Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he put up, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet is what he's saying. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the, for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and yet you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So uh, John chapter 13 is, is pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Uh, we could camp out unpacking the truths that are in here and the things that are written after this. I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter, see in context. But Jesus created an environment of love and community. Just like myself and the snowblower, we created an environment where we could get rid of the snow. You know, and you see, if you look out there, I did quit before I got all of the, the basketball court done. I said, ah, sidewalks are, are enough. But Jesus created an environment of love and community. And if you want to know what we as a church do, one of our highest priorities and focuses is to create an environment of love where love can happen. So he loved his disciples during and to the end. Uh, so it wasn't just, uh, you know, a one-time thing, but all throughout you would define what Jesus did with his disciples as loving them. And, you know, it's powerful if you're loved by somebody, like if you really know that you're loved well by somebody, uh, you know, you, you will still have misunderstandings, you will still have things come up, but you're able to reference something and say, you know what, this person made a mistake or this happened or this thing here, but this person loves me and I know because it wasn't just a thought or a word, but this person has shown action to love me. And that's what these people saw with Jesus. Uh, you know, these people lived life with Jesus. It wasn't like they checked in uh, for a job, you know, nine to five and, and, okay, Jesus, what are we doing today? But they, they traveled with him. They walked with him. They lived with him. They, they went all around Judea with him and, and, and they saw him in different situations. They saw when he was tired. They saw when he was happy. They saw when he was sad. They experienced all these things. And all throughout that, Jesus would define it, that he loved them. His confidence, if you look at verse 3, came from his relationship or love with his father. 
And so Jesus was able to create this community of love and this environment of love because he was love. He experienced perfect love in this community, what we call the Trinity, one God, three persons, and there's perfect wholeness. And so it says, because Jesus was sent by the Father and he would return to the Father, well, what did he do? Well, it says that he got up. He got up from the table and he decided he would wash feet because there was no servant there. Typically, there would be a house servant that would wash the feet of the people that were dining and and spending time together. But it was Jesus, the leader, the one that was the highest. He didn't look around and say, well, hey, you know, you haven't performed well lately. You wash everybody's feet. But he wanted to continue to love them to the end. And he loved them all regardless of their performance or quirks. Uh, right? It says in verse 11, it says that he knew who would betray him and had already betrayed him. Uh, and it talks about that, that Judas had betrayed him and was betraying him. And so even though Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, he washed Judas's feet, right? Jesus talked about, you've heard it say, love your, you know, you know, love those that love you and these things. But he says, I say, love your enemies, and, and you see Jesus doing that and walking that out. And, you know, we read this and you hear the term like, you know, wash each other's feet. And, and it's a saying. And uh, as a Christian, I had heard this, but I had never like seen it done like literally until I was coaching football. I was in my early 20s and I was coaching football at Santa Fe Christian High School in, in San Diego and uh, was coaching with uh, Coach Rick Brown. Uh, great football coach and, and um, great competitor, played college football at uh, Arizona State, was quarterback. And uh, I had football coaches and, and good guys and, and good things. But I will tell you that I never experienced what I experienced with Rick Brown uh, at Santa Fe Christian. And we also coached some other high schools um, as well um, during that time. But uh, the first season there, there was the chapel there at the school. And, and he says, hey, so for tomorrow as we as we continue, um, you know, what we call heaven week, you know, a little bit different Christian school um, instead of what they call hell week, you know, and, and he says, well, we're going to, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to wash the player's feet. And it's like, okay. And he read the scripture and went through and, and he's just like, and, uh, and he, and he walks through this whole thing. And it's like, so we're going to do it. And, and, and that's why, like, when I read that, that Jesus, like the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God of all gods, like the one that created all things and spoke all things into existence, like the one that has always been, that he knelt down. And, and the part that gets me is, is the washing I can see. And, and you kind of see movement with that. And it's, it's not quite as intimate, but it's the, it's the drying of the feet that's so intimate. Because I remember that as we wash the player's feet of this day, you know, it's the, you, you've got the washing of the feet, but now it's taking the towel and it's like a padding and wiping and making sure, I mean, right? That's just so much more intimate. And so it just, it got me, it touched me that, oh, wow. Like, that's what Jesus did to like set an anchor in this community that we call the church, that we will be known by our love, that, that it's a love that it's sacrificial. It's a love that we will look silly. It's a love that we will look foolish, but we will always be bound by this love. And so we, we love better together because in community, love is received. That's how Jesus made it, is that, is that in this community that he called the church, we would receive love. Because it's the it's the vehicle for it. Uh, um, 
community, fellowship, koinonia, that's the vehicle for our restoration, right? Because when we receive Christ, there's a restoration that's happening. We're being restored to become the people that we were made to be in substance and being and title and in life and in relationship with God and relationship with each other. So he uses the church to do this. So within the church is how we receive God's love. Now, the New Testament is written primarily to you all much more than it is you. You don't see it written to the individual as much as, not even anywhere near as, you all do this, or you all change this, or you all be encouraged. That's the New Testament. And so this love that we receive from God, this restoration is supposed to happen in community. So love is always at the center of this restoration. Uh, Genesis 126, it says, let, let us create human beings in our image. And so God is, 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 is speaking and he's creating man and woman. And he's saying, let's create them in our image. Well, is he speaking of the angels or is he, who's he speaking of? No, he's, he's speaking of this community, this perfect community, which is father, son, Holy spirit, totally un, ununderstandable right? Uh, you know, that, that, wait, this is one God, not three gods. And you can get into that. And that's some of the mystery, the awe and the wonder of God. But God says to himself, let us create them in our image. Well, that image would include love. The hour itself in the community, he's saying, let love be right at that, right at the middle of that. But something happened, something went wrong, right? Sin, and we ended up not loving each other, not loving God. And so part of the restoration is that pulling together back into community so that love would be at the center again. Uh, in John 17, uh, Jesus's prayer to the Father. He actually prays. He says, I pray for the ones you've given me, and I've given them your glory, right? In other words, I've given them the stuff of you. I've given them your stuff, Father. And he goes, but I don't only pray for them, but I pray from those that will believe in me and you from them. So he's speaking of you. You're right there. All those that have believed. And he's saying, I pray that they would be one, and I pray that they would be one like you and I are one, Father. And so right in the middle of that is this community, this oneness. And so that's why the church is that that would be the place that we're restored to the people we're made to be. Now, 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says this. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so this is what we do. We receive God's love. Like if you say, what's the number one activity of a church? Is it potlucks? We do that well, right? You know, is it, is it serving? We do that well. Is it worshiping? we do that well, right? Is it welcoming new people? We do that well, people. 
But the number one activity of the church, the community of Jesus, is to receive his love. Right? Uh, you know, the football season's coming to an end, but, you know, if you play fantasy football, you know, you choose receivers and they rank what they think the receiver, like basically how much he's going to receive. Right? And they say, well, he's going to have 18 points this week based upon the strength of the pass defense of the other team and where they stand at or how the quarterback's doing and how everybody's healthy and all this stuff. And, and they rank number of points. Well, Christians, our ranking should just be off the charts, infinity, because we're just going to receive as much as we, as, as we really desire and want. It's interesting. One day, Jesus said to his disciples and a bunch of other people, and he said, unless your righteousness, so your relationship with people and your relationship with God surpasses that of the Pharisees who were like the uber religious. They were the ones that really knew God. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And everybody would have said, whoa, you just changed the game completely here. What are you talking about? Then, then how do you know God? And how is righteousness really seen? Well, all throughout his ministry, Jesus defined it, which true righteousness that surpasses that of the religious or the person that just checks the box or just knows things or does things or walks things out. True righteousness would be our capacity to love. That as we receive more and more of God, our love and our capacity to do so would grow. So if you say, well, what's a mature Christian? Well, somebody that their capacity to love is growing and growing and growing, right? I mean, sometimes in life, it's, you know, it, it, it attacks us, right? Like, you know, you, you have kids, you know, your capacity to love better grow quick. But that's what we do in relationship, right? And if you've been around church very long, uh, it's like one of my friends, he said, uh, he said that Christians are like porcupines trying to snuggle, Right? You know, you say, well, go into the church and everybody just loves you. Yeah, they love you, but they're messed up. They make mistakes. They do things, you know, and, and so, but Christ at the center, we have this person, an example that we draw to so that we can truly love. So if the church is a bunch of people receiving God's love, then what happens next? Well, verse 11 of 1 John 4 Right after that says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So the, the, the rhythm of the church is this receiving of God's love and then loving each other. That's why the gathering of the church is so important because we, like we're receiving this love that God's giving us, but then now we, we need a place for it. We need people to give it to. And that's why he created this community called the church. And, you know, some of us, I, I know you're like, okay, receive God's love. How do I do that? And, and I get that. I, I struggled with that for many years. Um, you know, how do, how do you receive God's love? And in different ways, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like you, you get a package at the house and you don't know, like it's from someplace and, and who's it from and who's it? Well, it's to you. What is it? I don't know. Open it. Right? Isn't that what you do? I don't know. Open it. Well, that's what you do with God's love. You open it. 
Well, what would be the equivalent? Well, it means that as you're going throughout life and, and like something good happens to you, open it and say, Father, thank you for loving me and, and blessing me with that. You feel good, you have a good moment or something goes well. You know, Father, thank you for loving me. You open it. You, you, you recognize the good things in your life and you say, God, that's you. That's you loving me. That's you showing affection towards me. So that's how you open God's love. The next thing that we see is that in community, love is practiced. Now, practice is so important. Like whatever you want to be good at, if you practice it, like they say that 10,000 hours makes you a master at something. And, and if you practice, practice, practice and do that. Uh, but you, if you want to be good at anything, you've got to practice. Uh, any sport that you, that you think of. Uh, you know, I remember with my boys, they all played baseball. Uh, but, you know, when you first start to try to catch and throw uh, with, with a child, uh, it's not pretty. You know, the ball's going backwards and you're, you, you know, catch it. You know, they throw the glove, at, you know, and it's just, it's this awkward thing. But as they practice and they do it and they do it right, they're like, oh, this is how it works. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, preteen, adolescent, uh, I started playing golf with my dad. And so I remember one day that we were practicing. And so take note if you ever golf with me. Um, one day my dad set me up with a nine iron and, and we had these little wiffle, you know, golf balls. And so he sets me up and he goes, now, okay, you set, okay, bend your knees a little bit. And I'm just like, great, I got it, dad, whatever. So I just let that thing rip right into his head. And so, uh, you know, nine iron to the skull of this uh, bull riding, you know, roper Marine. And I'm like, oh no, it's going down. I had, ne- I, had, I had never ran as fast as that before, nor since. And so I went and hid in my closet. I'm like, oh, geez, man. It's, and he just came and he goes, it's okay. Let's get it right. You know? And, um, but, you know, I, so when you play golf with me, I always look behind. I mean, it, it's still to this day. I'm like, I never want to do that again because I've never done it again. So I, I practiced to try to get it right. But we learn to love in God's family. You know, 1 Peter 2.17, it says, love the family of believers. And so that's what we get is we get this family of believers to practice love. You know, and um, we really practice for eternity. Uh, Read 1 Corinthians 13, beautiful chapter about love. And it's spoken to Christians as saying like, look, if you speak in tongues or prophesy or, or, or love the poor or, or give or, or do all of these wonderful things that, that Christians and religious people do, but you have not love, you're just a clanging sound. Like it doesn't matter anything for that. And you're like, wait a minute. I mean, aren't those actions of love? And, and that messes with you. Like even when it says like you give to the poor and care for them, but have not love, I'm like, well, wait. Don't I have love if I do that? See, the New Testament and Jesus are pretty gnarly because they push us deeper and deeper to the seat of our motives, to the seat of like who we really are. Jesus isn't satisfied with just outward rote knowledge or just walking through things. Like he really wants our heart. And then even when he has our heart, he's totally cool that it's still ugly and messy, but he wants our heart. He pushes always down to our heart and he wants to get to that place that love is actually seated in us. You know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 too, it talks about how, how uh, you know, all these other things will pass like hate, hope, faith, and love, but 
but love is the greatest. Why? Because love is going to last throughout eternity. All these other things won't. Like love is eternal. And so that's why we practice in, in this thing we call the church is because we will be loving for all eternity. We won't need hope for all of eternity because the fulfillment has come. We won't need faith because we'll be with God face to face. And all of us that follow Christ and know him and have trusted him will be there and, and, and you know, we'll finally you know, be perfect in him. No more sickness, no more dying, no more tears, no more strife, no more misunderstandings. All we will do is love. And so that's why we practice it. You know, and say to yourself, well, how do I practice loving? Well, uh, be creative. Like when, if you think to yourself, you hear something, you think of somebody and you think of something that they need, or you think of something that you like about them or something good that they did, or you think of like, Hey, this would be cool if, if, you know, they need this or, or they, they, you know, what you do is you, you, you love, you practice by love and you say, all right, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go and do this for this person. So if it comes to your mind and it's within that realm of what you think love would be, do it. Do it. Like, I mean, that, just so you know, that's what we do as a church. Like um, in this community, like because of your generosity and, the, and the, because you give here and, and, and serve here, when there's a need within the community and we hear about it or we sense it or we see somebody do things, we just love them. We just give to them. We just encourage them. We just do that. And, 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 and here's the thing. It's, it's intentional, but it's just, we're just practicing love. And as you practice love, just like a sport or anything else, you all of a sudden realize you're like, oh, that's it. And as you practice love more and more, you get better at loving. And you recognize that there's different types of people and that, that certain people have different love languages, what they like, what they need. Some people, you know, just giving them time or gifts or listening you know, there's all sorts of different ways that people like to be loved. So practice the way that you love and practice loving those that are closest to you too, right? Practice loving your spouse, practice loving your children, practice loving uh, your friends, your family, your neighbors. It's absolutely amazing because when somebody's loved, it just transformed that person. And then the next thing is in community, love overcomes. So our, so the church our love for one another is our witness to Jesus of Jesus to the world. That's it. It's, it's not the size of our building. It's not the size of our crowd. It's not this, it's not the, uh, you know, the, the beauty of our campus. It's not the, the quality of our, uh, uh, you know, of our, our, our live stream. It's not the quality of this. It's not the, I mean, it's none of that. It's all the different things that we can set out to do well and do, and that may be impressive or look good or whatever. None of that is our witness to the world. Jesus only said that one thing was our witness of him to the world. And that's our love for one another. So Jesus doesn't make it super complicated. He doesn't say, look, there's 45 things that will be your witness to the world. And if you get these right, then people will say, ah, I recognize Jesus in them. No, it's just one thing. 
He says, your love for one another will be this witness. And he says later on in John chapter 13, after what we read earlier, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So this word where it says, uh, if you love one another, um, it, it, there's a phrase there, if you have, and it's, it's this idea of like holding tight in, in, in keeping with you. If you have, if you hold, and then it uses the word agape, unconditional love for one another, then you will be my witnesses. If you have love, if you hold love for one another, then you will be my witnesses. Because what you have or you hold is what you give somebody. So think about it like this. The way that we interact as a church or any church is that if we walk up to one another and any interaction, you know, whatever I get, whatever Chris has for me, I get. So if Chris is holding or having love for me, then that's what I get there. You say, well, what if Chris is having a bad day? Could happen. But then that's my opportunity. What do I have for Chris, right? So I, what do I have or hold? You know, like with a, uh, like our dog, we take our dog on walks and, and, and he'll, he'll all of a sudden just anything that's on the ground, he doesn't even think if it's healthy for him. He just grab that thing and start eating it. If it just looks like he can eat it, he'll eat it. And so what do we say to him? What do you have? What do you have? And then, you know, if it looks bad, we, we pull that out of there. But, you know, think about that. You know, what do you have for the people in our church here? You know, there could be hatred, right? And so, so if somebody comes to you and say, what do you have? And you have the interaction. Well, then you give that. There could be bitterness. There could be competition. There could be judgment. There could be gossip. Or even worse, in some ways, there could be indifference. Just indifference. But Jesus says, I want you to have and to hold agape, love for one another. And you say to yourself, well, that's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to keep holding agape, love for one another. I mean, people, we do things to one another. We make mistakes. We hurt one another. Right. And that's why this love of Jesus actually overcomes. In community, it overcomes because the cross of Christ can handle anything. That's why we wrap this koinonia, this love, this community around Jesus is that, is that what do we reference when we're pushed on when love is getting pushed against, that we would drop love? We go back to Jesus, to the cross. He can handle, it can handle any offense. It can handle any hurt. It can handle any pain as long as we keep ourselves rooted in that place we continue to love. Now, an interesting thing is this agape is an, uh, is an affection and unconditional love. It also means like a love feast. That's why in these groups that we're doing, we're like, hey, let's have food. You know, let, let, let's, let's have food together. Let's have a love feast together. Let's, let's share food with one another. And that's where it's all headed. Like when this is all wrapped up, when it's all done, there's going to be this great love feast, the marriage supper of the lamb. That's where we're all, we're going to feast and, and there's no calories. 
Uh, there's no calories on the menu. And the calorie list isn't that terrible these days. Now it's helpful, right? Like, wow, look at that. You know, 8,000 calories in that thing. Love feast. It's agape. That's what we do. And so if you take, if you do the online group, which, I, you know, I, it, what you can do is you bring your own food to it online. But the key is, is a lot of times when you're on Zoom or whatever, you don't want to be seen, right? You're like, well, hold on, let me, let me cover up. Well, I, you know, no, you just eat just like you're in the, in the, in front of everybody. So if you, if you join an online group and you bring food to that or eat something or whatever, don't, you know, click the camera, turn the camera off, just eat, you know, and it's okay. It's okay if they see that. So, all right. So what do we, what do we do with this? Well, uh, how do we take this home? One is, is receive God's love. You're made for it. Uh, one thing that I do to practice this so that I, I get in this mode of opening it every day is I try when I wake up, I say, God, I receive your love today. And it sets me right that, that as I look throughout the day that I see God's love uh, in the things that are happening around me. Um, the next thing is, is practice loving others. Practice loving others. Listen, if you get somebody saying like, what are you doing? What, like, what, why are you doing this? Say, I'm loving you. You know, you're doing it right. You know, like it, this love that we have for one another is, it's, it's an extravagant love, which it doesn't have, that doesn't mean that it has to be a big thing, but it's extravagant because you share yourself with somebody. That it's like that you take time out of your schedule to love somebody, that you take time out of what you're doing to open yourself up to them. So, so practice loving one another. If somebody in the church keeps coming to mind, maybe you're supposed to pray for them. Maybe you're supposed to call them. Maybe you're supposed to check in on them. Maybe you're supposed to invite them out to coffee or have lunch with them. You know, just, but love one another. And then lastly, have or hold agape love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Which means that, that if you're holding something else, you've got to exchange it. Sometimes you have to go to that person and, and sort that out so you can exchange it for love so that you can be, understand one another. But decide that I'm not going to hold anything else other than agape love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.